Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Pensions Expert Podcast. This week we'll be talking about how the pensions regulator has eased reporting and relaxed its own rules, how the pension transfer market has been affected by the COVID-19 crisis, and new analysis that shows that more than 500 companies will take advantage of deferring deficit repayment contributions. I'm Maria Espadinha, Deputy Editor of Pensions Expert, and joining me are Kate Smith, Head of Pensions at Aiken, and John Reeve, Director at Cozen Consulting. I'll start with you, Kate. How have you seen the guidance that the pensions regulator has been putting out in the past few weeks, uh, especially where it now says that employers might not consult employees on pension cuts if they're furloughed, and how the regulator has relaxed its own reporting rules? Well, I think, um, firstly, um, I have to say that TPR has done a pretty good job in getting this guidance out very quickly and it's very thorough and they're making sure that things change as things change and we're, we're constantly getting announcements from the governments that need to update their guidance, particularly on the furloughed employees. So um, I, I commend the, the TPR for, for doing that. But fundamentally, we have to remember that law has not changed, that if we talk about auto-enrollment, the auto-enrollment responsibilities have not changed. Employers still need to make their contributions and all the compliance checks, etc. It's just that the pension regulators' regulatory approach has changed. They brought in some easements. Now, you mentioned the consultation one, which was one of the recent easements. I think it was the end of last week that TPR brought in. Because normally, uh, employers, when they make a change to pension contributions under benefits, they need to consult for 60 days when the number of employees is more than 50. Um, that quite obviously we're in extreme times and so consultation would take us to the end of or near the end of a furlough period so it seemed a bit pointless so we were lobbying the government for you know employers are under pressure they need to take action now so the regulator has eased that requirement for employers for furloughed employees only to reduce the um, need to consult but they still have to tell um, the members and the representatives that this is happening. So they still have to meet strict criteria, which is quite right and proper. Yeah, I think I think that's right. I'm, I'm actually quite impressed with the uh, what the regulator's done, both in terms of speed, but also in pragmatism. I think uh, too many, too often regulators kind of stick to rules or rules and uh, and aren't flexible. And I think they've, uh, they've shown that actually they're treating employers and trustees as adults. They're saying, you know, you get on with the job, you know what's best for your, uh, for your, for your people and we'll trust you to get on there. Uh, but I think the important thing that trustees and employers need to recognise is that just because you can doesn't mean you should. And I think uh, trustees particularly need to be really clear that they still have responsibilities. You know, the reporting requirements, the easements there, these aren't easements to say don't need to worry about these issues. These are easements saying that... Um, you, know, you you take an adult view. You take you take your responsibilities seriously and look at them and do what's right for your employees. But you don't need to keep justifying it to us all the time. And I think that's actually I think that's good. I just hope that people don't take advantage of it. Um, and I think it's important that advisors and trustees realise that they still need to monitor these things. They still need to record them. They still need to be aware of them. Um, but they don't need to be getting a, uh, the regulators' agreement all the time. How do you think schemes and trustees have been acting? Do you think they've been acting in accordance with the request for them to get to get on with their activities and just do what they need to do? I, I think they I think they have. I, I think both the advisors and the trustees have acted extremely well, the ones I've seen and the reporting I'm, I'm hearing from others. I think everybody's taking their responsibilities seriously. And uh, I think they understand that uh, 
happen at these unusual times. And I think it's good that they can focus on what's important rather than have to worry about you know, the, the little things. You know, advisors still need to advise if there are breaches of, of some kind of reporting, but the trustees don't need to spend too much time on that when they've actually got to worry about making sure pet members get the, uh, the service they need. So I, I, think, I think at the moment it's working well. Um, I think there will undoubtedly be some where there'll, there'll be some issues, but um, you know, we, we, we shouldn't keep man we should manage by exception. We should manage by giving people the right the ability to do the right things for their for their members. I think I would agree with that too. It's um, so what I'm seeing, for example, that was the trust. You know, immediately have extraordinary meetings being called to get the data. You know, what's happening? Have, have there any change in service levels, administration? What's happened to members? Are you sending out communications? That's all happening as it should do. So business continuity plans seem to be working well. You know, the conversations are happening. Things are carrying on. Obviously, there will be a few little minor things going wrong early days. You'd expect that because this is unusual times. You know, it happened very suddenly. But things, from what I'm seeing, generally carrying on as normal. You know, there are some behaviours we need to monitor, but generally pretty good. I think it's interesting that, that some of the third-party administrators are have expressed their own surprise at how smooth this has gone, and particularly those that aren't used to having... Uh, working from home, I've spoken to a couple of uh, senior managers in uh, at operations who have said, "Yeah, I wasn't a fan of working from home, but if anything, productivity's gone up." And uh, they're, 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 I'm not seeing issues with service levels. And I, part of that is a bit of the uh, yeah, the, the newness of it. I suspect that'll slip. And I think you're absolutely right, Kate. I think this case of keep monitoring it. I think also we've only gone through the first phase of this. We've gone through the first phase of moving people all at home. If we get a phase of sickness um, in particular TPAs, and I think there's issues there, and I think, you know, just the, this continues a lot for a long time. People are start going to start to get quite uh, difficult to motivate in that situation, not just work-wise, but you know, the mental health issues and everything else around it. I yeah. think are, are issues we're going to face in the future. And I was even interested talking to one um, TPA the other day who was saying that one of their concerns is that nobody's taking any holiday at the moment. So if we only go back in sound of August, September time, they're all going to have 25 days holiday to take in the last couple of months of the year. And uh, even managing that, which sounds like a strange thing to be worrying about at the moment, but it's an interesting knock-on effect that we might find in the future. Yeah, I think, um, as you said, I think we're just in just coming out of phase one. So we're going to phase two and then gradually it become, I think we'll become BAU. You know, we'll be used to doing it. How are we doing it now? And it'll be strange when we go back to the office, gradually, when it happens. One other thing that's happening in phase one, as you're calling it, is around pension transfers and market volatility, with people thinking, should I take my money off? How are you seeing this market right now? Yeah, you're, you're, you're right. The, the, the uh, guilt yields on which most transfers are based have been, flying, uh, been doing some strange things. I have to say, again, I, I think it's been... Uh, much calmer than I expected. The the activity is quite low. There's not that many people asking about transfers. I think it's quite interesting to think about why that is. Is it people have got other things to worry about? Is it that advisors can't get to meet people, so therefore there's not they're not doing that? Um, is it just the volatility means people aren't making long term decisions? I think probably part of all of the above. I don't think it's the actual volatility of the current value that's causing the problem. I think it's the future unknowns that are stopping people making decisions. Most final salary pension schemes, the transfer value has only changed once a month uh, anyway, so they're not seeing their values changing dramatically. People don't ask for a transfer every day, uh, so I don't think they're seeing that. I mean, paradoxically, transfer values are historically still very high at the moment, and uh, you know I think there, there is a good reason why people might be encouraged to, to, to transfer, but 
At the moment, it seems quite calm. My trustees are all monitoring on a weekly basis the number of quotes they get and the number of transfers that go through and uh, looking at that. And indeed, retirements, early retirements, because people making uh, quick decisions on taking early retirement are equally something that we need to look at. So they're monitoring all of that and are ready to act if, if things change. But whilst the theoretical volatility and, and chaos is out there in practice, I don't see it causing a, a big issue at the moment. It's quite interesting. So you're not um, seeing too much demand for transfer value. So it's not putting too much pressure on the scheme, particularly where you're unfunded schemes. Yeah. Because obviously that's what the pensions regulator was concerned about, which is one of the reasons why it's given trustees, you know, three months sort of leeway where they can hold off calculating or processing transfer values and paying them if, if need be. And the worry for scams, you know, because we've seen the incident scams yeah. rocket not unsurprisingly it's again bau it, it, it seems to be yeah so if anything they're like they're lower they, they're quite slow they just picked up in the last week but they, they seem, seem to be lower than, than previously um as i say i think it will change i think when we see more employers in financial distress i think that might encourage people to start looking at, uh, at transfers and yeah there are other issues there are issues of cash flow if you haven't got the, the cash or you're having to disinvest equities at the moment to pay transfers then there's obviously an issue for the for the scheme in that point of view. Hence, as you say, the ability to delay if needed. Um, and again, I think the ability to delay just to make sure we make those extra checks on scans is, is a good one. I think that's, that's mm. got, to be, got to be helpful. But at the moment, I think that's they're ready for when we have an issue as opposed to dealing with the current issue, as, as far as I can see. And uh, in fact, the trustees I've got have, have not taken any action to delay or, or uh, defer transfer values are saying that would probably give the wrong message they're they're worried about the fact that if they give if they say we're not going to quote transfer values at the moment it would give a message of a problem when no one doesn't exist so i think monitoring it and taking the time to make that communication is, is is the right thing to do and what do you think about scam awareness there's been a lot of communication from regulators do you think that people are not rushing to transfer out because they are aware of these scams going around I think that's hard to know, isn't it? I mean, we're getting constant messages about scammers and that obviously the regulators and the government are very, very concerned about this. Personally, I think anything to sort of pause any decision, any financial decision at the moment is a good thing because, you know, scammers, one of their techniques is to try to rush people into decision. This, this is still only lasts for 24 hours. You need to do it now, you know. So I think any reason to pause is, is a very good thing. And for us to, you know, us as an industry to point that out to people and constantly remind people, and to tell them again, you know, once again, that pension cold calling is illegal. And that's where a lot of these scammers come from. They're completely out of the blue, aren't they? Saying, oh, you know, we can make this good for you. We've got all this, this opportunity. Just just transfer it here. You'll be fine. And the money's gone. LCP has released some analysis showing that at least 500 companies are intending to defer the deficit for contributions. Something that was announced a couple of weeks ago by the pensions regulator. Uh, John, were you expecting so many companies to do so or did the number come as a surprise? I'm kind of not surprised by numbers. I haven't seen the analysis by size and by um, type. I think it's it comes back to two things to my mind. One, the first thing is the point I made earlier. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. My concern would be that people are taking advantage of that when they don't have to. Having said that, the other point that the regulator is always saying, which I think I absolutely believe in as well, which is the best security for members' benefits is an ongoing employer. If you can help the employer by taking some kind of flexibility, then I think that's that's got to be a good thing. You have to remember that this isn't free money. This isn't a case of somebody being allowed to um, get away with not paying a deficit. This is only deferring a deficit. 
So for those employers that continue, actually, it's not an issue. Um, it's a bit like a mortgage repayment holiday. You know, it doesn't actually give you any money. All it does is put some put extra money you've got to pay later on. And in fact, you end up paying more interest on that basis. So, yeah, it's easy to see this as a, as a big advantage. If it just helps the employer survive this period, then it's got to be a good thing. The, the issue is going to be the employers that take advantage of that and then fail because that will leave the trustees with less money, frankly, by the virtue of those contributions they didn't get. And I think, yeah, that's the point. The trustees need to take their duties very seriously. They need to understand uh, that, that why they're doing it, what the mitigation is. And the, the regulators made this very clear. Again, it's been quite clear in this saying you can, but make sure you understand the reasons. It's short term and you get some kind of understanding of what the uh, mitigation is. You know, are they going to pay it back in the next three months afterwards, pay double for the next three months afterwards, or can spread it over the next 30 years? You know, let's understand what the process is and, and make intelligent decisions. Yeah, and I, I do think it's important that trustees understand or ask for details about the employer's sustainability and the leverage. I think that's really, really important. And I do understand they might not have that straight away. But for many um, trustees, they've probably had these sort of conversations over the years. And I'm hoping they're quite close to it or, or you know, the information is shared and it gets more is shared about how these employers, if they're in crisis, are sharing these these plans, their business plans with the trustees as much as they're able to do. So I'm, I'm really hoping that there are sort of open conversations between both groups. And it's a little bit left up to the trustee discretion to decide on this. Can trustees be confident in their decisions if TPR is not saying this is what you need to evaluate? Yeah, I, th I think it, it, it's what trustees do. It's what it's the, well, their biggest um uh, role really is understanding that it's a very very difficult one you know it's a really difficult question I mean even if you were sitting there and saying the company can continue for another year and we can continue to employ these people for another year but we might have less money in the end of it to pay pensions that's a really difficult decision that's not a binary decision quite clear in that case we won't do it or we would do it that's a really difficult one and I think trustees need to get all the information get the advice and um, as long as they make an intelligent decision I don't think they'll be criticized I think it's when uh, trustees are uh, make decisions by not looking at all the details, not considering all the facts, not take, getting the advice that the, the criticism has, or allow themselves to be bullied or, um, or cajoled mm -hmm. into making a, 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 a rash decision. Um, that, that it's, it's not a scientific thing that you can put a formula on, unfortunately. That's why I do need advisors. I mean, this is the importance of advisors. They really will show their worth as part of this process, I think. You could be coming back into the world where experts are suddenly liked again, perhaps. <laughs> That's right. Everyone needs an expert. <laughs> Changing the topic and to move on from coronavirus, um, even though we haven't said the word, it's been largely implied we've been talking about it. At the end of the podcast, we have a section called Always a Pensions Angle, where we hear a story not directly about the pensions industry, but which end, ends up having a connection. John is bringing us this story today. So back to you, John. Thanks, Maria. Yeah, I, um, the last few years, I've got an interest in uh, ancient Rome. In fact, next week I should be going to Hadrian's Wall to uh, have a two-week archaeological dig at uh, Vindolanda Roman Fort, but clearly that's not happening. So uh, in my isolation, I've been reading up on a few things, and I was reading about the uh, some of the theories about the, the fall of the Roman Empire and uh, came across an article by a, an American economist who uh, was looking at uh, the, the pensions that were paid to Roman soldiers. And I think many people will know that uh, Roman soldiers that managed to live for 20 or 20 or survive at uh, same service for 20 or 25 years were given a um, piece of land at the end and quite often an amount of money. 
And as Rome started to get more uh, violent and more corrupt, the emperors would pay more and more to the soldiers to look after them. And it became almost a, uh, a way in which they got elected. Emperors got elected to pay more and more money. And you saw the, uh, the currency being devalued literally by uh, putting less silver into the currency and uh, massive inflation. And what this led to was a, a load of things that the, um, this, this economist has called uh, unfunded promises. And uh, his theory is that uh, the unfunded pension promises of Roman soldiers was one of the things that brought down the, uh, the Roman Empire, which I thought in the current world of uh, public and private sector pensions is quite, was quite an interesting story. I'm not sure if that's a bit of um, a confirmation bias from this particular economist, but um, I think it's quite an interesting theory. Thanks again for joining us this podcast and we'll be back in two weeks' time. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.